0: I want to read this. Uh, this is a fascinating quote. I hope it's correct. I'm taking this from Wikipedia. And as yes. you a uh, lot on Wikipedia is accurate, and some yes. is not. So, okay. let me just read that. You can tell me if it's correct, but it's fascinating anyway. Uh, according to this, and this is this is the entry on uh, Jack Zipes. Yes. Um, let's see. According to Zipes, quoting from Wikipedia, fairy tales serve a meaningful meaningful social function, not just for compensation, but for revelation the worlds projected by the best of our fairy tales reveal the gaps between truth and falsehood in our immediate society let's mm-hmm. so talking about the role of, of fairy yes, tales
1: yes yeah. well I, I, you know of course uh, when you make a statement like that which is very general uh, there are tons of exceptions uh, there are many fairy tales I wouldn't recommend. Uh, to adults or children. Uh, but for the most part, uh, one of the remarkable things about the better fairy tales, even if they may be gruesome, is uh, that they, uh, uh, the notion of social justice is generally kept. There's, a, uh, they, they, there's an ethical, uh, let us say, tendency in most fairy tales. The bad, uh, the Boodle, the tyrants always get punished and uh, and the happy end generally is a resolution of uh, that suggests um, it's not just that people can live, the king and queen can live happily ever after. It, it means for the most part that the evil that threatens that society uh, will always get punished and um, we don't have... The, in in our own societies uh social justice is i wouldn't say uh doesn't exist but uh, the the social justice that we have in democratic societies in totalitarian societies is not very strong and so we tend to we turn to uh not only fairy tales, but science fiction or uh, other other fantasy forms, not for escape, but for uh, looking for a possibility that things can be different, that mm-hmm. uh, that what what we lack in our real lives, <laughs> generally doesn't lack in fairy tales, and uh, so uh, I think that uh, one of the reasons the fairy tale as a genre is probably the most powerful in the world is because it's the only type of genre where children from one or two years old uh, hear, hear the fairy tales uh, until uh, they die, until they become grandmothers, grandfathers, and so on. In other words, the fairy tales are, ne- uh, uh, are, are tend to influence uh, children uh, adults and uh, adults who become uh, grandparents whereas you no other genre does that you the novel doesn't do it the sonnet doesn't do it the fables don't do it it's the fairy tale that stays with us and uh, we develop it in different forms through the media I mean through the radio through television through film through Today, when I when I speak, uh, I'll show that postcards were very very important in in uh, spreading uh, fairy tales, the stories of fairy tales, all over the planet.
0: Mm. And I want to get to that. Uh, that's fascinating. I was going to ask you. You've already answered this. So maybe you could expand on this. I was going to ask you: Is this escapism? It's more than escapism, is what is what you said. And and I guess the meaning to us changes as we grow older? Uh,
1: definitely. The, uh, uh, I don't think we turn to uh, fairy tales in particular. We might turn to other fantasy literature for escapism. But in the fairy tales, we turn to them because they uh, have a sense of hope, a uh, hope that Uh, We can resolve conflicts. I mean, the conflicts in fairy tales are very strong. I mean, when you get uh, like in Hansel and Gretel are left in the woods by uh, their parents, uh, they must survive somehow and they do and they they, uh, also kill the witch and return. Uh, to their uh, unfortunately, just to their father. The, the, there's a little sexist com- component in, in that very tale because the stepmother is pictured in a, in a, a bad way. But nevertheless, the, the, base, the basis for Hansel and Gretel and mother, many other uh, tales like Snow White is Hope hope that uh, you can survive despite the evil in the world and you can also manage to do away with the evil in the world. So I think that, uh, again, that's an, another reason why these tales continue to stay with us in different different forms. They're adapted in many ways. Sometimes the tales are turned upside down and so on. But nevertheless, the basis of the tale will be sort of uh, what the most classical... Uh, a uh, form was. Does this, uh,
0: as an academic in this field, having studied fairy tales for so long, does this does that color how these affect you, or, or <laughs> these uh, these tales have the same effect on you that they might on me?
1: Well, I because I tend to know the let's say fifty most uh, most popular fairy tales in the world. Um, well, I enjoy the way uh, writers, uh, not only writers, filmmakers, uh, dramatists, and so on, who have changed the tales uh, uh, according to our times, so that a lot of tales that have sexist components to them, like Cinderella, for instance, or uh, Bluebeard, uh, have been r- uh, rewritten as novels, as plays, as uh, films, and. And, and even children rewrite them. I, I In Minneapolis, I direct a, a, f, a fairy storytelling program with the uh, Children's uh, uh, Theater of Minneapolis. And uh, we go into the schools once a week uh, in many different, in about 20 or 30 different uh, schools. And we animate the children during the sessions through storytelling uh, to tell their own stories, and uh, they then re- redo all of these classical fairy tales in ways that pertain to their lives, to the uh, what is relevant in their lives.
0: Interesting. What uh, what what themes? Appear. What what are their concerns, I guess? You you find those out.
1: Well, uh, one of them, of course, getting back to Hansel and Gretel, is abandonment, being abused and abandoned. And uh, we work mainly in inner-city schools, and the uh, rate of child abuse and abandonment is very, very high, so that it really does touch on their lives. Or, for instance, Little Red Riding Hood is really a story about rape and violation and uh, with the girl is generally blamed for uh, being violated. And uh, <clears throat> even there, we have amazing discussions uh, with the uh, students when, when we tell these tales and ask them to rewrite them. And we also suggest through another tale called Little Polly Riding Hood and the Stupid Wolf uh, to think differently and, and to suggest that uh um, you uh, the uh, you don't have to be victimized. There are ways to avoid that and uh, or that all males are not necessarily predators. So uh, we touch on very uh what I would say uh, fragile uh, sort of um, notion notions uh, with regard to the way the children le- lead their lives, and we discuss it with them very carefully. Uh, so that they then go on to really do amazing stories of their own.
0: That mm. uh, work, I see, would be very useful. Uh, I, I could see some would argue there is some danger here, right? Because of some of these yes. fairy tales are yeah. are pretty uh, pretty stark. Yes, and uh, you know, not untruthful about the world around them, but would maybe we don't want to expose the children to that reality right. that's, that's uh, right. so soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we work very carefully with the teachers of, and get to know these students very well, so that we're aware of the fact that some of these um, tales do touch on issues that to which they're very sensitive. So we're, we're careful about uh, what we do. On the other hand, we also have the uh, we we begin with the notion that all of these children experience violence in their lives, uh, even. Children who don't really become abused and so on. They, they, they and, and in fact, if you just uh, see what they, what they see on television, all these violent uh, uh, types of so-called children's shows, uh, they they really do know a great deal about violence. So the best way is to deal with violence head on, and uh, in a, in a way that we're very considerate uh, with regard to uh, the issues that the children in a particular class face. Mm.
0: Uh, before I go into the uh, next topic, I want to follow up something you you said. You said you like to read or consume uh, versions, uh, retellings. Yes. Um, yes. Are, are, do you have a, a favorite or two? Oh, in, yes. Uh, in uh, the that genre?
1: <laughs> my, my favorite is uh, Angela Carter's uh, uh, a book which was written obviously for adults, uh, and uh, uh, she unfortunately died about twenty years ago. And uh, I, I actually knew her as a friend. And she is uh, probably uh, it, it's her book is called The Bloody Chamber and Other Tales, which will give you an indication of how she was going to deal with a lot of violence in in in, in about twelve different uh, reworkings of. Tales by the Brothers Grimm and Charles Perrault, so she definitely would uh, stand up as as being uh, one of my my favorite authors. Hmm.
0: What are um, you mentioned? um, Correcting sort of misogynistic themes—that's that's that's one thing some of these writers are doing. What what else are they doing Uh, in, in in updating? Oh, or, or or changing and altering these fairy oh, tales.
1: Right, I I think there's a presentation of men uh, are not always princes. They're not always going to rescue uh, a a princess, or nor do they want to do that. So there are a lot of tales in, in which uh, the depiction of princes and kings and peasants and so on is much uh, more. It's much more complex and uh, much more subtle. So that that is going on. Uh, there's also now a tendency. Uh, uh, there are very few fairy tales uh, sort of written for, let us say, the immigrant uh, population or African American population. And so there are uh, many writers now who. Uh, are dealing either in novels or plays and so on uh, with African-Americans or Mexicans as characters in, in fairy tales.
0: I want to talk a little bit about uh, your— uh, y- you went back and translated the original yes. Brothers Brothers Grimm. I wasn't aware that there, <laughs> there was such a journey from the originals to— right. you know, the Grimm brothers were—at least the one of the brothers was making alterations for many years. That's right. I guess to suit the tastes of uh, of, of his
1: audience— uh, tell us. Tell yeah, us about the. Well, you know, when they started collecting tales, they were still teenagers, believe it or not, and uh, and they were in their early twenties when their their first edition was published in eight, in two volumes in eighteen twelve and eighteen fifteen, and then they went on to publish, revise the first edition, uh, six times, so that the final edition was in eighteen fifty seven, and. The reason, uh, and basically from the younger brother, Wilhelm, uh, Jacob was the dominant figure in the older brother in uh, the sort of their cooperation. Uh, uh, Jacob had many other projects, and so he left the editing after the second edition to Wilhelm, although he was consulted. And uh, there are two or three reasons I think, uh, why uh, they made changes or why Wilhelm did. First of all, a lot of the tales in the first edition were rough. Very, uh, uh, A lot of them uh, uh, depicted brutal scenes, uh, and also they were not that religious. Uh, there was very—rarely r- was God or the Lord or any, any sort of— uh, uh, Attention paid uh, to any any religion whatsoever. So Wilhelm, they uh, decided to add uh, a lot of sort of Christian elements. Uh, he also uh, 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 deleted tales that he thought were uh, much too gruesome, uh, and uh, he also was a brilliant uh, writer, and he had he had a very good sense. Uh, with regard to adding uh, proverbs, uh, uh, idiomatic expressions, uh, uh, so he made the tales more lively. This doesn't mean that they got rid of a lot of the violence in the tales, uh, but they uh, over oh, them. Uh, but he he also added tales that that were sort of uh, very dark. Uh, so it was a mixed bag, and uh, but. And the collection that they had, had had initially had about 156 tales, and it grew to 210 mm. uh, with foot, and then the with extensive footnotes. And they also got rid of a sense of German nationalism. They realized that uh, all European countries shared these tales and had different versions. and And so, in their footnotes, they explain that these were essentially European tales. Uh, The original edition of 1812 and 1815, I think, is uh, very significant because you can see now, uh, at least in English-speaking worlds, I mean, the Germans uh, knew about the first edition, but very rarely read that. Read uh, the first edition. It's the seventh, the seventh final edition that everybody tends to read. But in, it was an eye-opener when I translated the first edition for people who don't know German and don't, didn't realize that these original tales that were closer to the oral tradition, and and as I said, much more. Crude, uh, crude—not in a uh, stylistic sense, but crude in the way uh, the people told these tales: very bluntly, very direct, very simple, but very powerful at the same time.
0: So these uh, the, the the Brothers Grimm got these in in Maine from oral
1: uh, uh, oral traditions. Well, well, they they themselves. Uh, uh, they, they did collect uh, uh, tales directly from some women, young women living in Kassel. but for the most most part, they had uh, they, they had an extensive friendships or correspondence. So, uh, people from all over uh, Germany sent in their tales, uh, so that they depended to a great extent on friends and colleagues uh, all over what Germany was not Germany at that time, but all over German-speaking, but not only German-speaking world. Uh, they, they also uh, received tales from Italy, from France, and so on, that had been translated in, into German. So they're great. Uh, they were not, let us say, authentic folklorists at that time. There was no such thing as authentic uh, folklorists, and uh, nobody had tape recorders, or uh, uh, so it wasn't. It was very difficult to sort of write down the tales right after you hear them, or write down the tales while somebody was telling them. But they did their fair share, and uh, they became so astute, uh, both of them, because as I said, Jacob did. Sort of control, or to a certain extent, uh, look over whatever uh, a villain was doing. Uh, they they had for almost every tale in in the final publication about five or six different versions, and they had to sharp, they sharpened or or brought, brought uh, some of these versions in place or or replaced uh, some of their versions, e- even in the final edition. Mm.
0: Why did they – why this project? Why did they put this out? And I guess a related question, mm-hmm. why did people buy this? What What was the attraction to consume this?
1: Yeah. Well, I th- think there – again, there are very different reasons and you can interpret it in, 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 in different ways. But w- one thing is clear. They wanted to preserve uh, the oral tr- uh, 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 tales that would disappear if they weren't written down. And that includes ballads, prophets. They also published uh, a book of legends. Uh, So they were, uh, uh, you had at the end of the 18th century and beginning of the 19th century, a rising educated middle class attending universities and uh, studying philology, history, and so on. And uh, they came to the realization uh, that. Uh, not only the Grimm's, but middle-class, mainly males, uh, uh, although there were some women in the 19th century who also collected, uh, who decided that this is our culture, this is German culture, these tales, and we don't want them to disappear. And if we don't write them down, uh, they certainly will, uh, because uh, the oral tradition lasts to a certain point, up, up to a certain point. And so they um, uh, were part of a movement. They were not just alone. The, 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 that's why they relied on so many, many friends who also awakened to the fact that you know this is Austrian culture or this is culture of my district or quarter and so on. And it, it, this was happening in England. It uh, was happening in France and so on. Uh, but the Grimm's... Uh, f- uh, had a huge influence on almost all the folklorists in in, in the nineteenth century,
0: and have continued to have an influence. I mean, yes. <laughs> every every nation, every culture has its own, you know, uh, folk tales. But yes. it's uh, it's those those Grimm tales, and you know, uh, others. But, but they've had a huge influence.
1: Yes, in fact, the United Nations has signaled the collection of the Brothers Grimm as uh, being one of the most significant. Cultural um, products in, in the in, in the world. Mm.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, the first edition contains some stories that are pretty brutal, pretty yes. gruesome. Didn't make it to the next editions. Uh, can you tell us about well, one, one of those? Uh, yes.
1: Well, the, the the one that's the most brutal is uh, uh, a double, there were actually two tales in 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 this in this section, and it's called How Children played at slaughtering, and it, it involves uh, 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 some boys and, and girls who are very young, maybe five, six, seven, eight, uh, who are watching a, a butcher slaughter an animal. And then they s- say, well, let, why don't we uh, 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 play uh, butcher? And, I, and one boy says, I'll be the butcher, and uh, the other boy says, I'll be the pig. And the two girls said, and we're, we're, we're going to collect the blood. And so the first boy, who's the butcher, takes a knife and slits the throat of his friend. And a councilman walks by and sees the boy dying and blood flowing and grabs hold of the boy who played the butcher and drags him to the mayor and the other councilman. And they don't know what to do with this boy until one of the councilmen says, uh, well, uh, we'll give him— an apple, and we'll give him a gold coin in, in one hand. And if he chooses the gold coin, uh, we'll execute him. If he chooses the apple, we'll let him go. And they do that, and the boy smiles, looks at them, grabs the apple, and runs off. And that's mm. how that tale ends. Mm, interesting. And then there's another tale that follows <laughs> that about two brothers playing at a, a butchery, and, and it ends up with... Uh, uh, their the mother watching that, uh, them playing at, at, at uh, being a butcher, and uh, she stabs the older boy who's killed the younger boy. In the meantime, her baby that she was watching in a basin dies, it drowns. She commits suicide, and the father who returns from the fields uh, sees all of this, and he commits suicide. Wow. Wow. <laughs>
0: These would not be bedtime stories. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, and, and you know, some of the some of the tales that are in the later versions of, of the of the Grimm fairy tales are considered pretty dark. These are yes. absolutely brutal. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you think's going on there? What what concerns are being uh, aired if, uh, in the oral tradition? That's yes. it's
1: pretty brutal stories. Well, well, those were the stories that that circulated, and uh, it wasn't a fairy tale. It was a folk tale. In fact, a lot of the tales in the Grimm's collection. We wouldn't call them uh, necessarily fairy tales, but it's sort of like even today, um, the old tradition continues in cafes, and where people get around uh, a table and say, "Do you know what happened to George? Uh, he was run over or, uh, or murdered, and so on and so." On. So we continue telling these tales. Uh, uh, Children probably will not be around if the tale is pretty brutal, but also children might overhear uh, these stories. So we we continue the oral oral tradition without realizing uh, that there are urban uh, folk tales today, and also in the country, uh, tales told by minors about things that happen in, in the mines and so on and so forth. So uh, folklore is extremely important uh, to, in every country, the, the work that folklorists do is is extremely important because it, we still need to preserve elements of our culture. Mm.
0: What do you think, uh, you know, taking the, your, this example, sitting in a modern cafe and, and telling quote-unquote horror stories, you know, based many times on, uh, if not directly connected to true horrible things that happen, but we yes. know bad things happen. Yes, w- what, are, what are we doing, do you think, in, in, by telling these stories?
1: Well, I, I, th- I think that uh, we're spreading information to a great extent. I mean, when we tell t- uh, uh, stories about, uh, for instance, uh, uh, recently... Uh, Uh, There was a story about this uh, one girl who uh, was about 13 or 14. This just happened in in the papers about a week or so ago. And she was kidnapped uh, and taken by uh, three men and... Uh, and raped and abused and so on, and she escaped and uh, and swam across a pond, uh, and uh, a farmer saved her, and uh, they found the three men, and they're right now in in prison. So that's a tale that the brothers grim would have written down it's a tale that probably will be spread has been spread already throughout the uh the our, our country and there's a lot of information you know uh, that was shared about this particular community the dangers that uh, young girls face uh, you know it's it in, in to a certain extent it's uh uh, the, uh, the, one of the reasons we keep the Red Riding Hood tale is because it's also a warning tale. If you go into the woods alone, beware. And uh, this young girl uh, was captured. You know, uh, and uh, uh, for, was it to for, was to no fault. Wasn't her fault at all. It was just these uh, bloody uh, men who decided that they wanted to capture a young girl. Mm. And so you know, tell something like that will we, we'll be told around a coffee table or inside the family, and, and, and so on. And it'll be uh, again, it's information that's extremely important.
0: I want to talk a little bit about how these uh, these things uh, get uh, adapted uh, over time. We talked about one purposeful ad- uh, yes. adaptation. Yes. Um, but, uh, Wilhelm Grimm especially did inject Proverbs and he, and he added an overlay of religion and Mm -hmm. I guess to, to make it more attractive to his middle-class audience. Yes. Uh, so before I go to the next question, I want to maybe follow up on that. Um, can you give us an example of, uh, of a tale that he altered and maybe has come to us in the form that... That, uh, that he altered.
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of of uh, one that he altered in a way that would be made uh, more acceptable. I, uh, yes, I I, th- I think there are several tales in which um, the uh, mother is actually responsible for uh, abusing the daughter. For, uh, the the in uh, one of the original versions that Wilhelm knew about. Uh, uh the uh mother of snow white uh wants to have her killed and they they changed that of course to a stepmother uh the uh, also in uh in hansel and gretel the stepmother is not a stepmother it's it's her the real biological mother so i think they and they adored their own mother uh they also felt that it was it would be sacrilegious if uh we were to portray a mother wanting to kill her own or get rid of her own daughter so in that sense yes there were several tales like that
0: mm-hmm. um i want to bring this forward this idea to um to disney yeah uh, you know, disney has has used a lot of folktales and, yes. and and uh, fairy tales and some complain that they've sanitized them yes uh, you know almost beyond all recognition of what you would find in the original Original Grimm, I don't know what your feeling about that is. Some people feel that that's yes. bad. Others yes. accept it as well. This is just better to to have our kids consume.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I I I'm one of those people who's very critical of of uh, what the what Walt Disney did and and what the. Uh, uh, Walt Disney Corporation has continued to do. Uh, almost all of, at least in the early animated films for which Walt Disney was responsible, if you look at the uh, characterization of the young young heroines, they all look the same. They're all like bobby dolls, and, and all the princes are like... Uh, 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 he, uh, I forget the name of the Barbie doll that Ken. Ken, yes, yeah, yeah, the Ken doll. They all look like him. And and uh, generally speaking, it's a very the tales tend, the adaptations are somewhat elitist. It's uh, these are white, uh, very very white. Heroes and heroines uh they all become kings and queens at the end uh and uh it it seems as though life is very easy and and rosy uh it there's uh the major i think interesting and for me as a child, I was always attracted by the comic characters like the dwarfs or the animals for uh, uh, where you have a talking cat and dog and Cinderella and things like that. Uh, they're entertaining, uh, but basically there's a very strong, uh, I would say, sexist or uh, uh, patriarchal tendency in almost uh, all of the early uh, d- animated uh, films. But even today, the uh, Disney once you've seen one Disney film you've seen all of them.
0: Hmm. Now they uh, you know I think you probably would agree they've they've tried to Make corrections, right? <laughs> yes. Try to do correctives. They try yes. to put more minority characters in, and right. and you know, the female empowerment and that that sort of things. So yes. At least making efforts in that direction.
1: Yes, they definitely they they've tried to. Fortunately, uh, they have tremendous competitors like the uh, filmmakers who uh, created Shrek and uh, many of the Japanese films by Miyazaki. In other words, uh, the, the uh, whereas the. Disney Corporation is basically stale. I mean, they they, literally, the uh, you you can predict uh, the way uh, the characters will look, and so the animation forms and styles and music and uh, it's it's all the same. But whereas uh, the uh, new animated films and uh, from all over, from Russia to. Uh, to Japan uh, are exciting because they're they're very uh, let us say innovative, and uh, so I've been very encouraged by uh, the development of other filmmakers and and corporations which are producing films that are much more enlightening than uh, the uh, Disney films.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you think uh, the Grimm Brothers, others of the very famous, uh, you know, purveyors of folk tale, uh, folk tales, have? Done a disservice? Is, is there a suppression in a, in a way, just in in terms of taking up all the oxygen of uh, that we don't get as as much of each individual
1: cultures, folktales coming to the fore? Oh, oh, I I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is a dan- There is a great danger, and well, I wouldn't even say great danger. this has happened uh, is because the. Grimms uh, have become classical. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, nobody realizes that there have been great folklore co- connections. by the way, uh, uh, here here in, uh, at U- Utah State University, I've come from the archives and uh, there are just tons of collections from the Philippines, from Mexico, from South America. Uh, from Romania and that are these are amazing collections also from Italy and Spain. Um, and people really don't know that the fairy tale has flourished in, in, in amazing ways, in very inventive ways. Uh, I edit uh, right now a series at uh, Princeton University Press called Oddly Modern Fairy Tales. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of this is to show that... Uh, to publish uh, collections from the late 19th century to the present. Well, I'm sorry, not to the present, to 1940, and to show that uh, some very excellent fairy tale writers and folklorists, their collections have been neglected. And so thus far we've republished uh, about with introductions by people like Philip Pullman and uh, Marina Warner uh, Maria Tatar, excellent introductions to reintroduce to the public <laughs> there are these other tales out there. Why don't you you know put down the Grimms collection and and read these other tales? Mm. And it's having some some success and uh, uh, and uh, there are other Publishers uh, who are, uh, in fact, Utah State uh, uh, the, uh, uh, has the publishing press here has uh, published some very, very important collections, Wayne State at uh, Wayne State University in Detroit. So uh, they they exist. The question is, can you make these uh, tales known through schools or publicity? And uh, they they are just as significant as the Grimm's collection. Hmm.
0: What do you, uh, what does a fairy tale or folk tale of a culture say about the culture?
1: Uh, Well, many things. One, they will... Uh, to a certain extent, depict how justice uh, uh, works in the society itself. Uh, they will show how t- uh, children are raised and uh, to think about various uh, things in, in once they are in a dilemma. Uh, so they are closely attached. Uh, some tales more than other uh, to the culture. Uh, One of the things that I've noted in my work is that uh, uh, though cultures differ to a great extent, there are amazing similarities. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons, by the way, that the Grimm's tales or Charles Perrault tales or Hans Christian Andersen's tales uh, spread uh, Mm -hmm. because we do have common... Ways of uh, approaching the world and common dilemmas, and they are reflected in, in the fairy tales and folk tales in different ways
0: what what are some of those universalities uh, well, well the
1: the way, the way we treat children uh the way we raise them to think uh the way we portray depict animals uh as friends or not as friends or hostile and uh the way um marriage uh works <laughs> in in uh uh, um, the disputes that people have, uh, the way we treat uh, people who are mentally ill. There are a lot of tales about fools in uh, in fairy tales. So uh, uh, it, I think that fa- fairy tales uh, sort of live and breathe uh, the uh, problems and resolutions of particular cultures. Hmm.
0: Is is there? This may be unfair to, to to spring on you. as we've been talking about uh, you know folk tales of other yeah. cultures. Is sure. is do you have a favorite or, or uh-huh. one that you could tell us, or at least an outline? Uh,
1: a, a particular tale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the the tale that I uh, sort of uh, sort of a, a tale that appeals to me most has a, a, has actually a, a lot of relevance today. It's called. It's from the Grimm's collection. It's called. Uh, And there are many different versions that go back to the uh, Greco-Roman period. It's called How Six Made Their Way Through the World, and it involves a a peasant soldier who had fought many years for a a king, and the war's end. And at the end of the war, uh, uh, the soldier wants his pay, and the king laughs at him and tells him to get away. Otherwise, he'll be killed. He's getting nothing. And so the poor soldier marches off. He's uh, depressed, and he comes across a man carrying about five or six different trees on his back. And he says, my God... Uh, you are amazingly strong. He's the uh, strong man says, yes, I, I, I know that. I can use somebody like you. Uh, can Would you come along with me? And, and the strong man says, yes, I have nothing to do. I'm not earning very much around here. And then they come across... A uh, a man shooting uh, a rifle, and they don't know where he's shooting a rifle at. And, and they ask him, where, what is he shooting? Well, I'm shooting that fly 500 miles away from here because he's disturbing me. And, this, and the soldier says, I can use a man like you. And they come, come across a man blowing. Uh, something. Uh, uh, And they ask him, what are you blowing there? And I'm blowing windmills uh, about 100 miles away from here. And so uh, he comes along with them. uh, And then there's a man who can uh, see distances. So there are five men with extraordinary talents join him. And they come across a sign with the king has posted that anybody who can beat my daughter in a foot race can have her for uh, his wife and part of the kingdom and uh, so the ex-soldier wants to get revenge and goes to the king and says i'd like to race against your daughter but i I want my one of my friends to do the race for me. And this is a, a, a man who whom they had picked up who was standing on one leg and they had asked him, why are you just standing on one leg? And he said, well, if I put my other leg down, I'll be around the world in five minutes. And uh, so uh, the king agrees and says, if you lose... Uh, all of you get your heads chopped off. And so they begin the race, and it's easy for uh, at the halfway mark where they're supposed to pick uh, up a pitcher of water and bring it back. Uh, uh, The uh, fast racer uh, gets there very, very quickly and then decides he'll have a rest and lays down on the ground. And in the meantime, the princess comes, laughs, picks up a pitcher, and heads uh, back to the finish line. In uh, the meantime, uh, the soldier, is <laughs> ex-soldier, is uh, very concerned and asks uh, one of his friends, who can see very far, uh, can you see what's going on? And they said, yes, he's lying on the ground on his head on a rock, and then the sharpshooter shoots the rock from beneath the head, and he stands up and wins the race. And the princess says, I'll never marry that ex-soldier. He's peasant. And the king says, don't worry. We'll put them in this special room. I'll have it heated up, and they'll all die. Well, they are locked in this room where they're supposed to celebrate, and there's wine and so on, and and a big feast. Uh, the uh, uh, they say it's getting very hot in here because it's being heated up from the outside, and the uh, wind the the wind blower uh, starts blowing uh, against the walls, and it's sort of like air conditioning. <laughs> and so, in the morning, the king finds that the uh, have all survived and the princess says i'm not going to marry that peasant and he's don't worry don't worry i'll take care of this and he goes to the ex-soldier and says you can have as much as you want to carry away from the castle and then leave here for good and uh, so they uh, have a several huge sacks sewn for the strong man and he Stuffs, carriages, uh, knives and forks, gold, everything imaginable in in there, so that there's nothing left in the castle, and they head away, and the king is uh, outraged uh, because he's now poverty-stricken, and he sends his soldiers after them, and the windblower blows them into the air. They fall and are injured and won't go any further and the they go off and they share the treasure together <laughs> What what is it about that, that especially feels well, to you? Well, it's the way we treat our soldiers today. To even even today, we've always treated soldiers uh, uh, fighting for false causes, and uh, they're not paid, they're not honored, and so even though we pretend to do that, and uh, so and I love the idea that there's no marriage, mm-hmm. no no pretty princess, mm-hmm. no handsome uh, prince, uh, and there's a sense that of uh, they're going to share cooperate in the end and they learn to use their skills and this is something a, a message I think uh, that that uh, is very relevant today I mean we we in America and other places but in America in particular uh, share we have wonderful industries and uh, wonderful corporations wonderful schools and so on but we don't really get them to, let's say, function in in a more democratic way, in a cooperative way, uh, and uh, to overturn people with a lot of money, people who are really uh, perverting our society and causing a lot of conflicts.
0: Hmm. We just have a couple minutes left, uh, yes. uh, and I uh, will end with your presentation, but I want to ask you, I have to ask you this. Uh, yes. Uh, a television program named yes. Grim. What do yeah. you what, what do you think of it?
1: Yeah, there are two. Two. Uh, and there's uh,
0: Once Upon a Time. Once is, Upon was, a well, Time.
1: Yeah. Once Upon a Time has irritated me to no end, and, and I stopped watching it after a while. I found it, uh, the acting uh, terrible, and uh, the, uh, the the the. Notions of uh, and the portrayal of the past and the present uh, moving back and forth, and the young boy who carries this uh, is, is, uh, book of fairy tales around it just is uh, a, a, a so his acting is so poor, and and the this idea that he's carrying this book around is just. Uh, uh, let, let me say irrit, again, irritating, and so uh, uh, Grimm, uh, I, I, I'm somewhat fond of because of the werewolf who, who becomes, is uh, very humorous, and he, he becomes uh, a, a aids the detectives who are hunting down people, and uh, the and the whole concept of uh, this one detective being uh, an heir. Uh, to the Brothers Grimm, to the legacy of the Brothers Grimm, I, uh, I find find it very entertaining, and some of the problems they've dealt with, like uh, drug addiction and uh, other incidents, uh, uh, are really directly uh, connected to what we're experiencing in in America. So, if I were to choose among the two, I would choose the uh, Grimm series, and uh, uh, it it. it uh, to a certain extent, uh, I would say it, it's, uh, they're both very slick productions mm-hmm. and so on mm-hmm. and repeat things, but uh, it's worthwhile.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that um, you know, sometimes these very real problems in every day can be dealt with. Uh, you know, best in, in fairy tales yes. and science fiction, fantasy. Right, right. Um, so uh, finally, uh, to tell us a bit about your uh, your presentation. Sounds like interesting uh, topic y- yeah. here at Utah w- State University.
1: Yes, yeah. well, uh, when I began doing serious research on folk and fairy tales about 40 years ago or so, I'm um, um, very fond of flea markets and uh, uh, old books, uh, antiquarian sales, and things like that. And I stumbled upon a seller selling these magnificent postcards from the late uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, and uh, and I bought several. And I uh, began became very fond of these postcards. And one thing led to the next that, uh, again, because of my uh, desire, my tendency to visit flea markets all the time, wherever I go. And constantly, I, I kept coming across postcard sellers. And I found out that they're postcard clubs. And I found out that they're postcard shows. And we're talking about all of Europe, and America. So no matter where I went, I began buying postcards, and my collection up until this year reached over 3,000 postcards from all over the world. And since I'm retired from the University of Minnesota, and there's a very famous museum there called the Weissman Museum, I, I decided, and because my wife wanted me to get, start getting rid of my thousands of books and postcards and stamps and so on, I decided to donate my collection to the uh, Weissman Museum. Uh, but I wanted to share my collection before I did that uh, to a larger public. And uh, the so I contacted the editor of the University of Minnesota Press, with whom I, I've been friendly over the years, and I said, I, "How are, would you be interested in, in a uh a, in publishing a book of maybe 500 to 700 fairy tales with large images. I'll also translate the tales. We'll publish tales with them and commentary and things like that. And he said, oh, this sounds like a great thing. And indeed, uh, in a week or two weeks, uh, the book called Tales of Wonder, uh, reading uh Uh, fairy tales through picture postcards will be out. uh, And uh, I am showing about 70 images today in my talk and explaining how picture postcards came about. And uh, I'm fascinated by them. The artwork in a lot of these postcards is absolutely fabulous, based sometimes on paintings in museums. Uh, very different, and they retell the tales in extraordinary ways.
0: Well, it's fascinating. Congratulations on the book. Thank uh, you. And uh, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating discussion. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you.